0: God continues to lead us from his word. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Well, brothers and sisters, we are a simple people who are being made wise by God's word. And so as um, Josh comes and preaches to us this morning, let us become wise by his grace as the word is preached. Good morning. Happy New Year. Good to be with you all again. I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians chapter 4 verses 12 through 20. Galatians 4:12 through 20. And once you turn there, please stand also for the hearing of God's Holy Word. We'll read this text together. Galatians 4, verse 12, hear now the Word of God. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated, and uh, we will uh, go to the Lord's Prayer now as we look to this passage. Holy Father, we thank you for your word, which is truth, and we ask that you would sanctify us by that word. Please uh, give us understanding uh, of this word, that we might see its relevance for us, that it would speak to uh, our hearts, that it would strengthen us as the body of Christ, uh, and we ask this in the name of our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you all again. Uh, I am here preaching on a passage from Galatians that uh, feels like a bit of an intermission sort of section in Galatians outside of the uh, extended argument that is found in the book of Galatians. And the reason I chose this passage is because I have found much personal benefit from it, much edification uh, from this passage. It is, I would say, the most personal portion of the letter of Galatians. And this is, of course, a letter that's filled with doctrinal instruction about important matters. Uh, We learn much about justification. We learn much about Christian freedom. Uh, There are so many important topics in Galatians. But it's important to remember as we come to this letter that Galatians was not written as an impersonal book to an unknown, unfaced uh, people. Paul knew the Galatians. He had spent time uh, ministering to them when he first brought the gospel with him and Barnabas uh, to that region. And so this is a personal letter. This isn't just like writing a book and putting it out there and you don't know your audience that you're speaking to. Paul knew these people. He loved the Galatians. He didn't just write a book called Justification 101 and put it out on the market, or Christian Liberty 101. He really did know his his audience here, and it would be something like if you had had a pastor here at Bethel for a few years, and that pastor went away, perhaps to another congregation, and he writes a personal letter to Bethel out of concern the people of God here, speaking directly to this church. This is uh, Paul had, of course, spoken with these people. He had spent time in their homes. Perhaps he knew many of them by name. And I think it is important as we come to this passage then to see that personal component, that personal concern that Paul has for the people of God. When it comes to teaching people, discipling people in the Word of God, we have to remember there's a relational component to that. We don't do it outside of the context of relationship. And of course, pastors in the body of Christ, they are to have a relationship with the people of God, they are to care for the people of God. And I have titled this message, The Heart of a Pastor. And I've titled it that because I think we see very best here in Galatians, Paul's loving concern for the people of God. And yes, he's frustrated to some degree. He is uh, concerned for them, but it's all in the context of love that Paul speaks to them. Paul does have hard words for the Galatians. In fact, some of the hardest words Uh, In the New Testament, I think, are found in this letter, but Paul is able to take those hard words, those needful words, and speak them in love for the people of God. And in this regard, I find that this passage has much application for us. Certainly, it speaks to elders and pastors about how they need to speak to God's people at times, how they need to shepherd them. But it really speaks to all of us, brothers and sisters. It, It shows us. The concern that we need to have for one another, it shows us the way in which we need to care for one another, especially when any one of us are in danger of false teaching, of wandering away from the truth, as the Galatians were. One of the things that struck me about this passage was Paul's love and commitment for the good of the Galatians. He really does love these people that he is speaking to. And it is convicting to think about this as a young pastor in my congregation. Do I love the people of God? Do I have a concern for the souls of every single person in the church body? I'm convicted that I need to grow in this, and I trust that my other brothers who serve in this role would say the same. So we're going to look here at three aspects of this passage uh, organized around what a faithful uh, pastor looks like and how he acts. And then we'll apply it to all of us as well. So the three sections, which you'll see, I think, in your notes is number one, the faithful pastor reminds. That's verses 12 through 15. Secondly, the faithful pastor speaks the truth. That's in verse 16. And then third and finally, we have the aim of a faithful pastor, which is Christ formed in God's people. That's what Paul was aiming at in his ministry. So let's look at each of these today. We begin with the faithful pastor reminding the people of God. That's what we find in verse 12. And this really is an essential aspect of faithful shepherding in the body of Christ is that You need to remind God's people about the truth. Of course, there's a sense in which every single Sunday when you preach the gospel, you're reminding people about the core essential beliefs upon which their life is based. But there's also at times a need to remind God's people of past blessings, perhaps things that they had forgotten about as they were defecting from the truth in the case of the Galatians. Perhaps you remind them about past relationships, the love that you shared with them, and that's what Paul does in particular here. And it's important to remind and to be reminded because in the context of relational breakdown, when that occurs, it's amazing how when we're in the midst of conflict or we're dealing with... uh, somebody that is departing from the church, it's almost as if we forget about everything that came before it. I've seen this many times. Uh, Perhaps you've ministered to someone over a period of years. Perhaps you poured yourself out sacrificially for them. Perhaps you spent your time, your money to help somebody. And then it's a shock and a disappointment when that person turns on you or turns away from you and they don't want to hear from you anymore. They don't want to talk to you anymore. Paul was experiencing something just like that. The Galatians were turning from the gospel that Paul had preached to them. They were choosing new friends, new pastors, new people to lead them. They were choosing these false teachers to lead them in a different direction. And perhaps they didn't want to hear from Paul anymore, even though Paul had been a faithful laborer when he was with them. And so, in order to awaken them to this situation, he reminds them about the past. So let's read again verses 12 through 15. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So we learn some things here about Paul's ministry amongst the Galatians. We don't have any other information about this outside of what Paul says here in Galatians and we learn that when Paul was there in that region of Galatia which probably included many uh, different unique congregations Paul was dealing with a physical infirmity of some kind we don't know what the physical infirmity was uh, some have suggested that he actually had eye problems since he talks about the plucking out of the eye Of course, it's also possible just to take that as a proverbial expression of how affectionate they were. That they would have given up a body part for uh, Paul if he needed it. Uh, That's how much they cared about him. And Paul says that they so received him that it was as if they were receiving an angel. And he says even more than that, as Christ Jesus himself, you treated me as you would have treated Christ if he was in the flesh with you. That speaks to the closeness of relationship that Paul had fostered with the Galatians. They loved Paul and Paul loved them. And so this is so crazy now to see that they are turning away from Paul and the proclamation of the gospel that he had given to them. He's saying, what happened? We were walking together. You loved me and I I expressed love for you. What has happened now? that you are not wanting to hear from me anymore? What is happening that you're turning from the truth? Now, not only does he talk about his personal relationship, that's part of this relational component of Paul's heart as a pastor, but he also speaks about the gospel itself uh, and the importance of that that they had received. And it's it's a little bit uh, veiled here, but he has this phrase, where then was the blessing you enjoyed or as some translations render where then is your blessedness and it's a an odd phrase but i actually believe that what paul is referring to are the blessings of god that came in the proclamation of the gospel at the first paul was speaking to them about what god had done in fact if you look at chapter three verses one through three or so He speaks about how the work of the Spirit had been uh, poured out upon them, how they had received uh, the work of the Spirit, and Paul wants them to remember the blessings of the gospel. The glad tidings about Jesus were faithfully preached by Paul and Barnabas in the region of Galatia, and when the Christians of Galatia heard this good news, they believed and they received the Holy Spirit. And from the truth of the gospel and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, they were beginning to experience the blessings that came from that gospel, the joy and the peace that flowed from knowing Christ and knowing what he had done for them. But now that there are these false teachers that have come into the church, they are disturbing the churches. Paul talks about this, that The Galatians were being troubled, they were being disturbed, they were being confused by the false teachers that had come amongst them. If you look at chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, you'll see Paul's shock at this uh, departure from the truth. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And that indeed was the effect of this false teaching, brothers and sisters. This was a very serious matter. These false teachers had come into the church. They had begun to seek to impose these rituals upon the people of God. Certainly circumcision was one of the primary ones. And now their consciences were disturbed. They were troubled. They did not know whether their relationship with god was affected and it didn't seem to comport with the gospel that paul had preached to them and so paul is saying you need to wake up where are the blessings that you enjoy don't you remember the truth that i had proclaimed to you don't you realize what you're leaving behind as you do this the galatians they were suffering from what you might call gospel amnesia Any one of us can fall into this. We forget about the implications of the gospel. We forget about the work of Christ. And at any point, as it was with the Galatians, they could begin to trust, we can begin to trust in something that we have done to gain our right standing with God. And so that's what Paul reminds them of. This is part of his faithful shepherding. He reminds them of the relationship. He reminds them about the truth in order to awaken them to what is happening. Now secondly, we go on to Paul's speaking the truth to them. This is the second of our sections. The faithful pastor speaks the truth. Galatians 4, verse 16. This is Paul's question to them. He says, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? How do you explain this common phenomenon of someone who once loved a fellow Christian or someone who once loved their pastor, and within a period of weeks, they completely reject that person. They want to have nothing to do with them at all. Of course, there may be a variety of reasons for those kinds of breakdown of relationships. It is sometimes the case that pastors do foolish or sinful things. That, That does happen. That leads to a breakdown of relationship with the flock. But the other possibility is that a a shepherd in Christ's church or a fellow Christian was speaking to you the truth. Perhaps that fellow brother or sister was speaking to you that word that you needed to hear right then. It was a word in season, but you did not want to hear it. Now, Paul was not guilty of some sin against the Galatians, he was not guilty of some moral lapse in his ministry. Paul had been faithful in his ministry to the Galatians. And the reason that the Galatians were beginning to treat Paul as an enemy is because they had rejected his message, at least to some degree. He was still hopeful that they would come back, but they were turning to a different gospel, and they didn't want to hear from Paul anymore. Sometimes people do not want to hear the truth. Sometimes speaking the truth will give you a hostile relationship with somebody. Sometimes people don't like the truth. Sometimes the truth does not fit with their fleshly desires. The word of God is not well received because of this. And as I've gone through Galatians, I've noticed how the false teaching of the Judaizers, as they're sometimes called, was very attractive to fleshly desires and impulses, Paul actually gives a few reasons why the false teachers were such an attraction to the Galatians. One of them that's in this passage is that this appeal, this false teaching appealed to the pride of the Galatians. How so? Well, it would be to be part of the in crowd if you could join the Judaizers, join this special group. Because Paul says in this passage, he says, they zealously court you in order for you to be zealous for them, that you're going to want to be in with them. And so this was an appeal that, okay, we can be within this in-club, and that was one of the attractions of the false teaching. Paul will say later in Galatians that one of the reasons that people uh, departed from the true gospel is because they feared the persecution that came with the cross of Christ. In other words, they feared man. They, They did not want to be part of this of the gospel and the offense that it caused to natural man and so some forsook the cross because they would no longer have to be persecuted that's what Paul says later in chapter five and of course another reason this false teaching appealed to them was it it appealed to our natural human natural fallen human instinct of self-righteousness To wear the badge of honor of doing these various rituals. To boast in one's flesh, Paul says, was one of their impulses. In chapter 6 he says that. And Paul is speaking against all of this. He's saying, forget all of this. Forget this false teaching. You need to remember the cross of Christ. If righteousness were by law keeping, then Christ died in vain. There's no point for the cross if that is the case. And so Paul is speaking the truth. He's speaking hard words to them. And they perhaps do not want to hear it. And what we find here is that one can love somebody and speak very hard words to them. It is possible to do both. Perhaps it seems more uh, common that when we speak hard words, or we might think of unkind or mean words, we don't do it in love, but one can indeed speak hard words in love. When, when guided by the Spirit of God, when brought as a word in season, it is possible What were some of the hard words that Paul said to the Galatians? Well, he began his letter saying, I'm astonished that you're leaving the gospel. That would have probably been a shock to them. I don't think they thought that that's exactly what was happening. In chapter 3, verse 1, he calls the Galatians fools. That usually doesn't help in conversations to warm things up, to call someone a fool. He says to them that they had been bewitched. They were under a spell of these false teachers. He goes on to say, if you accept. Yourself off from the grace of God. These are hard words. These are direct, plain, direct words. Now, when pastors speak words of truth, sometimes hard words, hopefully motivated by love in every case, sometimes they experience the pain of rejection. Pastors routinely get in trouble for being direct. And the same goes for Christians in general. If you're direct with somebody, you're speaking the truth, you you are bound to probably get in trouble in the process. But if that word that we bring is brought with truth, brought with love, broad as a word in season then we should each be willing to receive such hard words when they come i appreciated what calvin said about this in his sermon on this passage he said if a person scolds us vehemently and gives us good counsel seeking to deliver us from some evil or other and we cannot bear it we are assuredly battling against god what he's saying is that when a faithful word is brought, even if it's a hard word, it is the word of God for us and it needs to be received. Would you battle against the Lord who delivers this word to you through a faithful brother or sister in Christ when you need to hear it? We dare not battle against the Lord's word delivered through faithful, faithful Christians. And what we find, for example, in the Proverbs is this category of what is called a faithful wound. Proverbs 27 speaks about this. And it gives us a contrast, actually, between two things. Proverbs 27, verse 6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So the proverb is very helpful for us here. It says that Sometimes it's the case that it is your friend who comes. They really care about you. They really love you. And they wound you. But those are faithful wounds. On the other hand, you have enemies who are really not for your well-being. And they will give you kisses. It will seem pleasant. It will seem desirable. It will seem to be warm. uh, And nevertheless, it will not be for your ultimate good. And that was the case with the false Teachers in Galatia, they were enemies, They were, but they were giving kisses to the Galatians, as it were. They were seeking to create an affectionate relationship with them, even as they were doing harm to their souls, even if they didn't think they were. And if you read about how Paul speaks about these false teachers, he is unsparing. Uh, Galatians 2, verse 4, listen to what he says about the false brothers in uh, in Antioch bringing a very similar teaching he said and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in christ jesus that they might bring us into bondage it's pretty serious maybe the false teachers didn't think they were bringing them into bondage but that was the effect of this falsehood that they were bringing into the church In chapter 4, verse 17, within our passage, uh, Paul says, They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. So they're courting the Galatians. They're trying to build a relationship with them. They are spending time in the churches. They're spreading their false teaching and they're bringing the Galatians along into their new discipleship program. And Paul says they're up to no good. They're not seeking your good in all of this. Their intention is not a faithful intention. Their intention actually is of, out of self-interest. They want to be praised by you. They want to be made much of by you. These are the kisses of an enemy, and they are deceitful. Galatians 6.13, this is another motivation that Paul says about the false teachers, he says, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that you may boast, that they may boast in your flesh. So they wanted to boast. They wanted to build up their pride, and they would do so by winning over more converts to their cause. And so this was not, uh, these were not faithful men. They were not helping the Galatians. They were harming the Galatians. And so Paul comes along. He is the faithful friend. He is the one who comes and writes this letter and he does do some wounding to the galatians wounding in the sense that it hurts it's direct some painful implications to this letter but it was exactly what they needed to hear and so i would ask us as we apply verse 16 to ask each of us do we receive faithful wounds when they come may come from your pastor, it may come from a fellow Christian, but it is a, if it is a faithful wound for your good, it is to our wisdom to receive it as a blessing of God, as a faithful wound that will help us. Now, when a wounding comes from somebody, of course, we do have to think about it, we have to pray about it. Uh, We do have to distinguish faithful wounds from wounds that are not true, wounds not delivered in love, uh, harmful wounds. There are a difference between those two things. And yet I do think it is perhaps our natural tendency to jump to the conclusion once we get the wounding that it was not a faithful wound. Maybe our five second conclusion is that was not a faithful wound. I did not need that. It was not delivered in love. And I would urge each of us, whenever you hear a hard word, give it more than a five-second analysis. Give it more thought than that. Give it prayer. Consider it. Sometimes we receive some wounding and there's a bit of air mixed in with the exhortation. We have to sift that out. But it is a, indeed a blessing when we are faithfully wounded by a friend who really loves us. And so that was Paul's heart. He cared about them. He was their friend. He was their pastor. He was their brother in Christ. And so he spoke the truth, even though it probably was difficult for them to receive. Now, what we see in this is that one of the marks of a faithful shepherd of God's people is that he speaks the truth. A faithful shepherd of God's people speaks the truth in season when people like it, and out of season when people don't like it and don't want to receive it. Either way, a faithful pastor keeps going according to what Paul says. Now, what would you rather have? You could have a pastor who tickles your ears, who makes you comfortable and keeps you on your train ride to hell and never says any hard words to you. You could have that pastor. Or you could have a pastor that speaks the truth and speaks the hard words where they are necessary for the good of your soul, so that you are awakened to the truth and that you respond to the truth by the working of God's Spirit. But which would you rather have? Do you want a pastor who speaks the truth? This was Paul's exhortation to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. He gave this mandate to Timothy, knowing that his ministry was going to be difficult at times, and he said, And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul gives Timothy a very helpful heads up here. He says, you're going to preach the word and I want you to understand that there's going to be hard times and easier times. There's going to be seasons where there's a reception of the truth. People are excited about the truth going to be seasons when perhaps it feels that the majority of of people are rejecting you or they're unhappy with you in your ministry and he says this is just the work of an evangelist you're going to have to endure afflictions it gets difficult Uh, this is what a faithful pastor does he goes on he keeps preaching the truth he he declares it no matter what the response is and he seeks to do it faithfully in accord with the word of god And so we see that as the second mark here of this faithful shepherd. He speaks the truth, even when it's difficult. Now we come to the third and final section, the aim of a faithful pastor. Christ formed in God's people. Now in this section here, particularly in verse 19, Paul describes his longing his desire for the Galatians and how they would grow he we see his love his earnest earnest concern for them as a faithful shepherd and it was his aim that Christ would be formed within them you know faithful a faithful pastor's aim in ministry is not their own self-advancement it's not focusing upon their increase in income Gaining accolades of men or getting their next book deal, that's all not important to a faithful pastor. What is important to a faithful pastor is the formation of the character of Jesus Christ in God's people. Look at verses 19 through 20. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you now what a picture for Paul to choose uh, to describe his concern and his desire for the Galatians he he says that he's experiencing labor pains as he desires the Galatians to be born as it were formed into the character of Christ now sometimes I think women object to the use of pregnancy and labor illustrations by men Uh, And it is a weighty objection since men do not have the direct experience of going through labor. And certainly Paul did not have that experience either. But despite that objection uh, that is sometimes brought, this is a very valuable illustration for us that speaks to Paul's concern, loving concern for the Galatians. And I was trying to summarize how this picture helps us in understanding Paul's heart for God's people, and so I, I summarized some of the points that seem to emerge naturally if you think about uh, the experience of labor, and in this case, I checked the list with my wife to make sure that this is accurate uh, before giving it to you, and she said that yes, indeed, this is accurate. So what do you, what do you find in the context of labor pains in, in a mother's love for her child, well, first of all, pregnant mothers love their babies very, very much. That's rather obvious, isn't it? Though they have suffered much to carry these children, they love these children with a deep and natural affection. They care about the well-being of this child whom they've carried. Secondly, moms in labor are extremely desirous to see their children born. They, they want the labor process to be carried out to the end and to end as soon as possible ideally of course and third even though labor is difficult and painful beyond most other human experiences the outcome of that labor having been completed is great joy when that child is safely born and received into the mother's arms there is a immense amount of joy that is expressed upon the completion of that birth and so Paul is taking this picture he's saying This is my concern for you, Galatians. I I want to see you not only come back to the truth, not go this other way, but to see Christ formed in you. So Paul wanted them to know his love for them, and he didn't want his labor to be frustrated. He had labored in the gospel to see the Galatians brought forth and to grow and mature and he didn't want to see that process come to an end and then the Galatians don't continue in the truth. And so what this tells us about the heart of a faithful pastor is that a faithful pastor is deeply invested in the well-being of Christ's people. He cares deeply about them. Paul is not a disinterested pastor that could care less about what happens to the Galatians. He He could have heard news about the false teachers that had been delivered to him and he could have said, Oh well, I told them the truth. I don't know what happened to them. It's their fault, I guess, to receive this this false message and just could have left it there. But that's not Paul. He he's concerned, he has a passionate and loving concern, so he writes to them in order to win them back. So Paul cares. He cares deeply. And what we can ask ourselves, whether we are uh, elders in the church or whether, or all of us, of course, being brothers and sisters in Christ, is this, do I care about the well-being, the spiritual well-being of my fellow brother or sister in Christ? We must remember that the supreme example of love is our Lord Jesus Christ, who went so far to lay down his life for the sheep. Will we do? ourselves for the good of our fellow christian we ought not to think about this in the way that cain thought about things you remember when the lord confronted cain about his brother and and the lord says where is your brother abel and he says am i my brother's keeper why are you asking me effectively is what he's saying What, what does this have to do with me but that is not to be the perspective that we have, spiritually speaking, of every single member of Christ's body. We should be saying, yes, I am concerned for my brother and sister in Christ. I care about them. I, I want to help them. I want to them. I want to pray for them. I want to speak the truth and help them. So that should be our aim, uh, whether we are shepherds in the church uh, as ordained to such office or whether uh, each of us, of course, have this calling to minister to one another. Now, I've described what Paul longed for, his aim, that Christ would be formed in them. And now I want to dig a little bit deeper into that phrase. Christ formed in you that Paul uses in verse 19. What does Paul mean by that? This was Paul's aim. And I think this is such a helpful description of what a Christian is and is becoming. Christ is being formed within every True Christian. And to make sense of this phrase, we need to remember something that Paul has already taught in Galatians, one of the most important, probably the most memorized verse in all of Galatians, which is Galatians 2, verse 20. Listen to what Paul says about the Christian life in that verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me. And what Paul is describing in this key verse is what we call union with Jesus Christ. That by faith we are united to Christ, we become one with him, and all of his benefits, as we might call them, all of his blessings, all that is found in him flows to us because we are connected to him spiritually. And what he says here is that his old identity has gone, is died, has been crucified with Christ, it's gone. Now he is alive with Christ, in Christ. Now this is a very important fact that we need to recognize about the nature of a true Christian. A Christian is someone who is alive in Jesus Christ. Christians are not spiritually dead people. Ephesians chapter 2 of course explains this very important truth about salvation that we are uh, given new life by the power of God we're raised up with Christ we're seated with him. we are granted this gift of salvation by grace through faith not of anything that we have done. And so a Christian is someone who is alive to God alive in Christ. And because a true Christian is united to Jesus Christ, they are, because they're now alive, they are now being shaped into the image of Jesus Christ himself. They're being made like him. And as I have been studying through Galatians, one of the books I read recently is a valuable classic that some of you may be familiar with. It is the book titled The Life of God in the Soul of Man. Uh, this was a short book written in the 1600s by a, a man named Henry Schugel, and this little book that Schugel wrote uh, was one of the instrumental pieces of literature that George Whitfield read that spurred him on into the ministry. George Whitfield had been in the holy club at Oxford, and, and him and Wesley had been uh, engaging in a rather uh, monkish or ascetic-like Christian life, denying themselves all these things, really seeking to attain godliness by means of their own effort. And so, Whitfield he comes across this book by Schugel, and he is uh, astounded by what he discovers there, which is that Schugel sets forth the Christian life, and the Christian, as someone who is being filled with the divine life that comes from God. That's what, of course, the title says, The Life of God in the Soul of Man. And here's a, just a few quotes from Schugel's book that are helpful, which Schugel actually mentions this passage speaking about this topic. Here's what Schugel says about a true, true religion and what a true Christian is. True religion is a union of the soul with God. It is a participation in the divine nature. It is the very image of God drawn upon the soul. In the apostles' words, it is Christ formed within us. In short, I do not know how the nature of religion can be more fully expressed than by calling it a divine life. And so, Schugel is emphatic that we cannot think of a Christian as somebody who is dead, who is spiritually dead. A Christian is someone who is alive in Christ by the power of God. In he he explains what some of the implications of this are. If somebody is alive, this affects uh, whether they are responsive to the word of God, whether they receive the word of God, whether they grow, of course. He says religion may be defined by the word life because it is an inward, free, and self-moving principle. Those who make progress in it are not motivated by external forces driven by threats, bribed by promises or constrained by laws, but are powerfully inclined to that which is good and they delight in its performance. The love that someone bears toward God and toward goodness comes not so much by virtue of a command to which they are responsive, but rather by a new nature instructing them and prompting them in that direction. Now, I might slightly modify what Schugel says here myself, just to say that God does use the means of commands and even threats, and of course, he uses promises in the word to move us. It's not as if God works apart from these means, but I appreciate what he's getting at, that if we are alive, it's not like you have this skeleton that you're trying to get to do something, you're moving its arms for it, because if somebody is alive and they hear the word of God, they're going to respond to it. You're not going to have to force them and drag them through the mud to try to get them to do what's right or to respond to the word of God because they are alive to the things of God. And so Paul is here speaking that he wants the Galatians to have Christ formed within them. We might call this sanctification, becoming like Christ. Paul is concerned for this growth in them. Now what does this look like then if Christ is formed within us? To put it quite simply, it means that we become more like Jesus Christ. Our love becomes more like the love of Christ, which is a love that never fails, a love that endures wrongs, a love that does not seek its own interests. If we are having Christ formed within us, we're going to increasingly demonstrate the humility of Christ, Christ who looked to the interests of others. He concerned himself with the interests of his people first and foremost not his own and he gave up everything in humility that that's what we will become like if christ is being formed within us if we are having christ formed within us our speech will increasingly have the fragrance of the words of christ our our words will flow with wisdom with Kindness with power with truth. Increasingly, that will be the case. We know this is a a lifelong process for us up until glory, but it is indeed a real process that the Spirit brings about. We will be increasingly predisposed to do good to others. That will be our aim. We will find ways in which to serve rather than to be served. Because that's what Jesus did. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we begin to be like that. Though we can never give our lives as a ransom, we can certainly lay down our lives for our brethren in love. We will begin to love the things that Jesus loves more and more. And we'll hate the things that Jesus hates. We will love mercy and compassion and justice. Jesus cared about all of those. We will hate injustice. We will be turned off by unmerciful, unforgiving behavior. We will not want to have anything to do with unrighteous anger. In short, in every way possible, we will become like our Lord. His resurrection life will be formed within us. And a good question for each of us to consider at this point is, is this my interest? Is this my desire? Is this my great desire in life or my desire for 2023 that Christ would be formed within me? And if you're thinking in terms of goals and plans that you lay to achieve those goals, I would ask you, is your top goal in life to glorify God by becoming like Jesus Christ? Do our life priorities evidence that that is indeed the goal that we pursue? And so that should be the aim of the faithful pastor, and it should be the aim of every Christian, that Christ would be formed within us. Well, in this passage, we have seen Paul's most personal words to his brethren in Galatia, and what we have observed is a man who loves God's people. He is so committed to the spiritual well-being of these people that he will say whatever words are needful to them at this time, he reminds, he warns, and he speaks with warm affection for them at the same time. And I find here for us, brothers and sisters, that Paul's words are a model of ministry for us. How do we minister to one another, especially when somebody is going astray like the Galatians were? Well, Paul shows us the way. We remind them of God's past blessings. We speak the truth, even when it's difficult And in all of it, we aim at their well-being, that Christ would be formed in the life of every believer. So, brothers and sisters, we can close in prayer asking that God would make these aims our aims as we minister in the body of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we, we do thank you for this precious time spent in your word. Your word is a gift to us, and it speaks with such power and relevance We ask now that you would create this kind of ministry in our congregations. That we, as pastors, would be faithful to this call, and that we, as disciples of Christ, would seek to lovingly speak the truth to one another. That we would aim at the spiritual well-being of one another. And we desire that you would be glorified, Lord. In that you would, you would be that Christ would be formed within us as your people that we would become increasingly holy as that holy temple of God we have already been set apart and so we ask that you would uh, further sanctify us for the glory of Christ's name and we pray this in the name of Christ amen, amen. we come out to the lord's table together As we approach this holy table today,